You're listening to Body IO FM with your hosts, Kiefer and Dr. Rocky, where cutting edge science meets the razor's edge of health and performance. Hi, everyone. This is Kiefer again with the Body IO podcast. Uh, we're still rebooting from Biojacked Radio. Um, and I'm with guest Rocky Patel, who will more likely than not uh, be on the show in the future. And uh, today we've got a, a great guest. I think this is going to be an interesting show. This is Dr. Dominic D'Agostino. D- <coughs> it's the best way I can say it. I'm, I'm going to mess it up. Yeah, if I... That's correct. Yeah. Okay, good. <laughs> Very good. <laughs> and um, he goes by Dom, so that's what we're going to use on the show for everybody. Um and he's basically already said hi by correcting me in the almost butchering of his last name. <laughs> so how are you doing this morning, Dom? <laughs> great, great. Uh, thanks for having me. Yeah, thank, thanks for great coming on the show. Uh, you've done some really interesting work with ketogenic diets and um, some of the current work with cancer cells and hyperbaric therapy is really interesting. And I've got to warn you, and I hope you're willing to accommodate <laughs> me on this, I'm either going to sound like I have some grasp over tumor cell metabolism or I'm a complete idiot. Mm-hmm. So I'm, okay. <laughs> I might float some stuff by you and, you know, don't, don't be cautious in telling me that I totally don't understand what I'm talking about at all. Okay. No problem. <laughs> all right. Any, anything to add, Rocky? Uh, no, I'm, you know, again, I, uh, I've heard a couple of uh, YouTube videos I've seen you on, and um, I find the approach really intriguing, uh, and it, you know, certainly makes sense, uh, and just because of your experience, I thought it would be great to have you on the show, and, you know, not only maybe talk about, you know, how ketogenic diets affect cancer metabolism, but maybe uh, we can kind of hypothesize about cardiovascular disease, as that's kind of my realm as well, so... Yeah, and if I'm correct, you were a former powerlifter as well, correct, Dom? Yeah, not not so much competitive, just more you know recreational. Okay. Uh, yeah, always it's always been a passion. Probably like 20 years now, I've been kind of dabbling in just uh, strength training. Oh, that's fantastic! So this will be a nice, well-rounded show. We try to do something health-related um, so that you know people can get a grasp on how different diets can affect health and longevity, and you know just an active life uh, instead of just worrying about crawling to the grave. And we also try to talk yeah. about some sports performance too. So it'll be a nice balance. Okay. But great. Do you like to give us just a little background about how you got started with uh, the ketogenic diet for, for various reasons? Okay. Uh, I started in school, you know, my, my main focus when I went into college was nutrition and it kind of morphed into, you know, biology and nutrition just because I didn't really see a career in nutrition. <laughs> so <laughs> I decided to also major in biology to, uh, and kind of went the pre-medical route and uh, kind of got sucked into scientific research looking at the, uh, the effects of uh, the neural control of autonomic regulation. So how our brainstem controls respiration and heart rate. And what ended up being my uh, undergraduate research led to my PhD dissertation research. So I did my PhD in uh, in physiology and neuroscience, kind of how the how the brain controls our physiology, and did my postdoc during training uh, 
with a group that was funded by the Office of Navy Research. And they were, you know, they developed a lab to address some of the problems that uh, undersea divers have, including uh, oxygen toxicity seizures. And as I was doing my postdoctoral fellowship, we were developing methods to, to, to study brain cells under high pressure and, and just understand the phenomenon of why people get seizures, you know, under high, high concentrations of oxygen and oxidative stress. So long story short, in the process of doing that, I came across, uh, uh, I, I scanned kind of what would be the most potent anti-seizure strategies. And, you know, I looked at drugs and antioxidants and a number of different things and, and discovered the ketogenic diet was used, you know, when drugs fail. And, uh, and our program officer, you know, within the military was, was really interested in, in, you know, he understood the efficacy of the ketogenic diet as sort of a, a, a neuroprotectant anti-seizure strategy, but he wanted the ketogenic diet in a pill. So, uh, <laughs> which, I, you know, which is commonly the case, you know, we want right. things easy. Uh, and, you know, I, I'm still very engaged in ketogenic diet research, but also developed and tested a number of ketogenic agents uh, that have been shown, you know, to produce, you know, very rapidly and sustained ketosis, which would mimic, you know, starvation level ketosis and agents that are, you know, safe and effective for achieving that. So that has been. Uh, a big part of my research, you know, uh, working on developing these agents, testing them, showing their safety and efficacy, and screening them, not only in seizure models, now we're looking at everything from, you know, uh, neurodegenerative disease models and in cancer. So we have a number of different projects, even wound healing. We're looking at them for wound healing, because wound healing, especially in elderly population, uh, is a problem because of high blood glucose. So right. you have, you know, oxidative stress and, you know, the blood's like sludge with hyperglycemia and a, a, we found that a ketogenic agent administered orally lowers blood glucose and elevates ketones and dilates uh, the blood vessels to uh, ischemic wounds, for example. Not only does it dilate the blood vessels, but it's delivering uh, a high-energy uh, substrate to the wound tissue, which is very deficient in ATP because there's a lack of oxygen and glucose uh, because the blood flow is impeded. So, mm -hmm. so we find that ketones, you know, are, can be effective for things that I would have never even thought of getting into this. So it's really exploded. So just really focusing on metabolism, which affects a number of different signaling pathways, instead of mm -hmm. just looking at a drug which affects one really has, you know, so many different applications and and that's really where my research is is at right now. And you know, people tell me, well, you're just you're trying to do too many things, you're looking at too many diseases, but metabolism relates to everything. Right. And I'm just focusing on one aspect of metabolism which in our models appears to be more effective than even the most, you know, advanced drugs that are out there, you know, even for cancer and uh and for seizures. You know, we we have uh uh, a, a an agent that is essentially uh, nutrition. It provides energy and can, you know, be as effective or more effective than even you know the best drugs that we have out there now for a number of different things. Uh, so so I, that's that's how it evolved. Yeah, uh, <clears throat> that <laughs> that's probably one of the best uh, origin stories for getting into this type of research and interest that I've <laughs> ever heard. Actually, 
Um, and, and it explains like the, the wide breadth of things that you're doing. Uh, and, and I've got a couple of questions from what you talked about. And one of them will lead into uh, something I want to discuss later on tumor cells. But when you were looking at the um, basically oxygen toxicity and the seizures that were occurring, was there, my question there is, did you see a cause? Was it because of possibly accelerated metabolism in the brain or... You know, mm-hmm. was that ever elucidated? You know, the high oxygen and high pressure environment possibly sped up glucose metabolism in the brain and various nervous tissue. Is that yeah possible? That, that's a very that... good question. Okay. Yeah that that was really the root of my postdoctoral training was to uh, and to do this we developed a microscope. We use uh, laser scanning, confocal microscopy, and atomic force microscopy, and and mm-hmm. other different electrophysiology and we mm-hmm. put these things inside hyperbaric mm-hmm. chambers so we can look at cell signaling you know neuronal activity membrane potential firing frequency that sort of thing and essentially what we see and and it kind of relates to what my main focus was in the beginning is that there's an increase in reactive oxygen species with increasing you know pressure of oxygen mm-hmm. and uh, and oxygen is a neural stimulant and uh, increasing oxygen concentration will increase the, uh, the, the rate at which neurons will fire action potentials. And in certain parts of the brain that are more oxygen sensitive, the hippocampus, for example, there's an increase in firing frequency and, and there is an increase in glucose consumption. And so with, with high concentrations of oxygen, not only is there an increase in glucose consumption, but there's an increase in free radical production that impairs glucose metabolism. So you have a depletion of brain energy stores at the same time the oxidative environment is is impeding or impairing brain energy metabolism. And and elevating ketone levels in the brain or feeding the brain ketones can actually kind of enhance mitochondrial energy production to reduce the flux of free radicals out of the the mitochondria, but it also provides a high energy metabolite that can preserve brain metabolism in the face of an oxidative challenge, which would be, you know, hyperbaric oxygen. So, so it's really, it's kind of twofold. The, the ketones are, uh, are feeding the brain a high energy source of, you know, a high, a very efficient metabolic substrate to preserve mm-hmm. its energy production and also it, influencing metabolism and metabolic flux in a way that lowers uh, reactive oxygen species. That's what we've demonstrated. Now I was trying different antioxidants which work great in in vitro preparations mm-hmm. in, in a culture dish essentially and they can, you know, I can stop oxygen toxicity in a culture dish but when these things are moved on to the animal model and used out in the field they have very little effect, uh, you know, dosing. They have a mild effect, but it's nothing like you would achieve, you know, with, with delivering a, a high-energy metabolic substrate like ketones. So most of my time was really spent looking at antioxidants early in the beginning. And then, and then I discovered, you know, the, the ketogenic diet was used for drug-resistant or drug-refractory epilepsy. I was really surprised that this was kind of marginalized in the medical field. And and it was this therapy that, you know, not a lot of people knew about. And it was just, uh, you know, it wasn't recognized as, uh, it really wasn't promoted as a therapeutic option for many people uh, that have epilepsy. And, 
you know, one guy came to me and uh, his name was Mike Dancer. And, you know, I met him on, on, a, on a message board and, and he had what I would call terminal epilepsy and was in a cocktail of anti-seizure drugs. He was able to get off all the drugs and start uh, the ketogenic diet and it was basically a cure for his epilepsy. Wow. You know, and that was a situation with uh, Charlie Abrams. And that's you have the Charlie Foundation, which is associated with Johns Hopkins Hospital. And Jim Abrams was the Hollywood producer that produced like the airplane movies and stuff. And his son, Charlie, had severe epilepsy. And he basically tried every option and went to the library himself and found out, you know, the ketogenic diet. So he put his child on it. And when he was cured, he was literally angry that he was not given this therapeutic option. Right. So he started an entire foundation. And now the Charlie Foundation is you know, this huge foundation. There's probably almost 100 clinics across the United States that uh, have neurologists that you know, help people uh, you know, monitoring them when, as they start the ketogenic diet to control their epilepsy. And, and there's published reports showing you know, the, the efficacy of this therapy. It's, it's not debated. It's not disputed. It's, it's very effective. Right. And I believe but that's, compliance. I mean, that's been around since the thirties, correct? As far as twenties or thirties. 20, yeah. yeah. I mean, it's a very old, that was some of the first research when I started learning about metabolism and this was, you know, maybe 15 years ago and you start looking up ketogenic diets at the time, 15 years ago, that was really the only place in the research that you could find some, you know, extended periods yeah. of time where people had been on a ketogenic diet. And I, I was reading all the success of this and, you know, how it really didn't affect the development of children at all. You know, most that performed even better in school after this transition and all this. And it, it was, like you said, it was just striking to me that you never heard it anywhere for anything. It yeah. was just how dangerous it was. And it's like, you've got this powerful treatment that's making kids healthy and smarter, but yet you're telling everybody that it's dangerous and it's going to kill you to not eat carbohydrates. Yeah. You know, my, my first experience yeah. <laughs> to the keto diet actually was when I was in medical school and, um, you know, when I was doing my peds rotation, I was on a neuro neuroendocrine floor. And so the neuro part of the floor had kids with seizures. Uh, I, I distinctly remember a kid who had Prader Willi syndrome and they would just bring yeah. him up bowls of butter and whipped cream. And, you know, at yeah. the time back then it made, you know, absolutely no sense to me, but on retrospect now, I'm like, <laughs> you know, you wonder why some of these things aren't, um, um, more mainstream, like you said. Yeah. A compliance is an issue, you know, cause doctors feel, you know, that they have a uh, responsibility for the child and it's a lifestyle change that many people <clears throat> just are not willing to embrace. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and you know, if you don't have family support, you know, if, if the child's eating this way and the rest of the family is at the dinner table eating something completely different, uh, it, it's really important to have that support. And I see this with cancer patients who want to, you know, try this as a therapeutic option. If they don't have the support of their significant other or the family involved, um, which literally, it really means, in, in my opinion, you know, they need to clear out all the food in the in the house that can be a problem for for many people you know if the discipline's not there and you know you really need to have that family support Um, so that's why I'm interested too in in ketogenic agents so maybe someone could follow like a modified Atkins diet or something that's not as severe or strict take a ketogenic agent and be at the same level or of ketosis or above and and still get the benefits of the carbohydrate restriction you know, and in getting the body to to produce its own ketones, and and you know, adding a supplement in small amounts can uh, could further augment that uh, 
you know, being being in nutritional ketosis, the benefits that you get from that. Yeah, I would that, complete, that's what I'm kind of interested. I would completely concur on the compliance issue. I mean, let alone kids, even adults. I mean, it's just, it's one of the oh, hardest yeah. things, uh, one of the hardest nuts to crack. Yeah, and, and at least when you see yeah. patients day to day. So, that's uh, in the supplements that you've been able to develop. What blood concentrations are you looking at, uh, or are you able to achieve? Uh, for ketones i know on average people are like 0.3 millimole per liter and in starvation you can hit levels of three to four millimole per liter so where yeah in the supplementation what what are you able to achieve with that because i've seen somebody's hawking basically a ketone salt and they said you know it has Mm -hmm. huge increase in ketone levels and they're talking about getting them up to 0.8 which you know you're still not really at that extreme of, of um ketone levels that you can achieve in starvation or a true ketogenic diet yeah uh ketone salts are sort of a really new thing that are under development now and you know the only one commercially available was sodium beta hydroxybutyrate and if you took enough of it to get into a level of ketosis that you'd achieve with starvation or Mm -hmm. the ketogenic diet you'd you'd get a significant sodium overload uh but now what now what the manufacturer the guy's doing and it's Patrick Arnold is, is mm-hmm. kind of spearheading yeah. this and, and I've worked with him to develop a number of these things is that we create a balanced mineral salt so you have you know sodium but you have potassium magnesium uh, okay. calcium and you have you know various uh, other you know alkaline amino acids even that can be combined with beta hydroxybutyrate to make a salt and these things can be combined in a way that not only prevents a mineral overload, but they can give your body uh, things that actually it, it could be really helpful, like magnesium and various amino acids and, mm-hmm. and minerals that, uh, you know, it can be uh, given in a way, in, in a balanced mineral preparation that can elevate, when used alone, it can elevate levels, you know, in the two to three millimolar range if you give enough of it. And then if you combine it with something like MCT, especially caprylic acid and you can achieve and sustain levels of ketosis uh, even with carbohydrate consumption that would be similar to a ketogenic diet now ketone huh. esters are kind of a more potent version of that mm-hmm. and we have there's various types of ketone esters but it's that's really just uh, how much do you want to take so you could basically put your ketones anywhere which could be problematic because you could potentially overdose but you'd really have to take a lot of them a lot of ketone ester or ketogenic salts to really overdose and um, so the threshold level will be high for toxicity but uh, you can easily achieve levels achieved with a ketogenic diet and you know I, I do that and <laughs> I do that on a daily basis but I, I tend to to follow the ketogenic diet too I believe mm-hmm. in the benefits of carbohydrate restriction uh, there's other groups out there that are developing ketones and they're kind of anti-ketogenic diet, but I, I believe that the true benefits will lie in someone who stays in a mild ketosis on a paleo slash, you know, uh, you know, less strict ketogenic diet and then mm-hmm. add supplementation at, at, at certain times to enhance performance or or energy or cognition or whatever. I, I know there's there's benefits there. I mean, I, I see it in myself. I see it in other people, and we see it in the data that's coming out right. of the lab. Yeah, I know the benefits there. Um, <clears throat> that would be the first, you know, one. At least the vocal groups out there, you've either got people that are so far on the ketogenic side that they're talking about, 
you go ketogenic, strip all the carbohydrates out of your diet, you get increased performance and increased, you know, the the claims are, are overinflated, I think, especially when you look at the longer term data, you know, yeah. an endurance runner, for example, or a sprinter has the exact same performance once they've adjusted to a ketogenic diet as they had when they had adjusted to a carbohydrate diet. And then you've got the other side that says, well, you never go ketogenic, have high carbs. And, you know, so you've got these kind of two polar opposites. And some of the data used, I you know, I think is used inappropriately. Like when we look at the perfused rat heart and they say, oh, well, you know, you get so much greater efficiency when you're on a ketogenic diet. But what they kind of fail to mention is the greatest efficiency was when you had a combination of glucose, insulin, and ketones, which yeah. if yep. you're on their pure ketogenic diet, that's just never going to happen. So these supplements seem like the only way to really achieve that in a realistic and applicable way to sports it, it, mm-hmm. especially yeah. if you're able to hit those levels of you know the three to four millimole range yeah that's a good point um, yep and yeah because uh, and i think you know there, there's evidence that if you're in ketosis that ketones themselves enhance insulin sensitivity so you mm-hmm. probably have better glucose disposal. Mm-hmm. I know you mm-hmm. do. I mean, the our data is there, and it'll be published soon. And, and I've seen it in people that you have better utilization of of, in, of glucose uh, when ketones are administered, and and probably in a state of mild ketosis, nutritional ketosis with carbohydrate restriction. So I believe that's the case. So an athlete could stay in you know mild to moderate ketosis, and then during periods of of uh, intense exercise, sort of take carbohydrates in as a fuel or a mixture of right. you know uh, carbs and, and ketones as a fuel would would be. So no one has studied this actually. So this is a really important question I think that could apply to a lot of different things, not only sports but just you know different pathologies too that are associated with impaired glucose utilization. So since we're on the uh... This is a good segue to pathologies because um, the the whole tumor metabolism I've always found you know incredibly interesting, uh, just in its own right. But using ketogenic diets, I always thought was interesting how you know they they can be used for treatments for um, especially they've been used highly successfully in Europe with uh, brain tumors. So. Kind of, and then you've added a new component to that. From I assume this is the data that you were able to to see in the Navy SEALs and what happened in the hyperbaric situations and oxygen overload. So, can you explain to us a little bit how the ketogenic diet um, alone kind of affects you know tumor tumor growth, and then kind of why the hyperbaric component can enhance the potential cellular death of those tumor cells. And then when we're done with that, I'm going to mm-hmm. float you um, <laughs> an idea I had when I was going through all the research trying to prep for this conversation. And then you can tell me if I'm totally off my rocker okay. or if it makes sense. Okay. <laughs> uh, sure, sure. Yeah, and this is, I'd like to just kind of preface this by saying that this is a field that is very controversial. So some of the things that I'm going to be stating uh, there's there's evidence for, but there's also evidence to, that counters it. Okay. Uh, that that may so the the 
you know, I think the truth will ultimately come out. And I think the emerging data now is supporting cancer sort of as a metabolic disease. Mm -hmm. And what I mean by that is that the origin of cancer probably lies in metabolic dysfunction. So, and the way I view it, which uh, my mentor in this is uh, Professor Tom Seaford from Boston College, and I mean, I guess his mentor or would probably be Otto Warburg, who, you know, kind of mm-hmm. his research has yeah. spun off the Warburg effect. Right. So, uh, essentially what, what we believe and, and what the, the data now is, is starting to validate, and, and there's definitely an increase in uh, clinicians being interested in this. I mean, two years ago, there was like no ketogenic diet, you know, studies going on. And now within the last year, once we published a couple of studies, there's like, there's about 10 clinical trials that just popped up out of nowhere, you know, that are looking at the ketogenic. So so the data is, it'll take a couple of years for the data to come out. But, but now there's been a definitely an emerging interest in this idea. So how we, we've, we, and how I would explain it is that the origin of cancer, and it's under, it's, I'm going to talk about the origin of cancer because I think understanding the origin of cancer has major implications for how we prevent and treat the disease. So Warburg thought, you know, the origin of cancer lies in mitochondrial dysfunction. So, you know, you have, for example, progressive mitochondrial dysfunction in your liver. So you're ingesting some kind of toxin. Uh, Instead of the toxin directly damaging the nuclear DNA, it causes a protracted uh, uh, stress to the mitochondria, which are selectively vulnerable to a number of carcinogenic agents, whether it be radiation, you know, uh, chemicals, uh, viruses, all the things that cause cancer uh, actually impact the mitochondria because their DNA repair mechanisms are not very robust. So essentially what Warburg thinks is that you have progressive mitochondrial dysfunction, which impairs oxidative phosphorylation in the cell. So you have a decrease in ATP within the cell, Mm -hmm. and a decrease in energy production within the cell will destabilize the nuclear genome and kick on the activation of oncogenes. And many of the oncogenes are genes that activate glycolysis. So you have this robust increase in glycolysis in cancer cells to offset the decrease in oxidative phosphorylation of the mitochondria. Mm-hmm. So progressive mitochondrial damage will trigger, uh, you know, the activation of tumor genes, uh, you know, oncogenes, and also impair, you know, tumor suppressor genes. So it's it's not, you know, how Warburg and, and Tom Seifert and, and our lab too and, and several others now emerging is that the mitochondrial dysfunction is actually the the cause of uh, the activation of the oncogenes, and and this is kind of well established. There's a number of experiments that can support this. A lot of the data has been put into a book. Uh, cancer is a metabolic disease and a number of reviews that have been submitted. So essentially what you get in aggressive cancer cells is um, you have uh, impaired uh, respiration or oxidative phosphorylation with compensatory fermentation. So the cells are fermenting. They're, They're utilizing glucose as an energy source and pumping out lactate even in the presence of oxygen. So even if there's sufficient oxygen, the mitochondria are not generating ATP 
uh, in in cancer cells. They're not it's it's sufficiently impaired mm -hmm. to the point where the the tumor cells need to derive energy from uh, from glucose and also from substrate level phosphorylation of amino acids like uh, glutamine. Mm -hmm. um, so now that we know that, and you know what I just told you there is kind of controversial, and it was kind of buried as we went into as the field looked into cancer, uh, the Cancer Genome Project, and mm -hmm. then the Cancer Genome Project came up with you know a thousand different therapies or more and none of them panned out so now we're all going back to the <laughs> metabolic theory and you know that actually Tom Seifer was doing this years ago but but now the field is going back and even you know people like James Watson who you know spent his his career looking at DNA is saying that we need to rethink cancer and look at it as a more of a metabolic disease so now that we know that you know that cancer cells have damaged respiration with compensatory fermentation and they utilize they are essentially addicted to glucose, and mm -hmm. if you take glucose away and give them ketones, they will die in a culture dish. And the same thing happens in vivo. Uh, so we can exploit that. So you know, ketones are metabolized exclusively in the mitochondria to generate ATP. If you have damaged mitochondria, and all cancer cells that have ever been looked at, they all have damaged in uh, the actual structure and the morphology of the mitochondria and also in the respiratory enzymes that the mitochondria would need to generate ATP from the ketones. So all cancer cells are known to have this. The more aggressive the cancer cell, the more damaged the, uh, the mitochondria. So now that we know that, we can develop a metabolic strategy that would that would limit the substrate availability of glucose and glutamine and, and things and also elevate uh, fatty acids and ketones, primarily ketones, to, to, so healthy cells can readily adapt. They have the metabolic flexibility to use you know, ketone bodies and, and fatty acids for fuel by the mitochondria, but cancer cells, they lack this ability to switch over. And, you know, and that's why the ketogenic diet can be used, or carbohydrate-restricted diet, can be used for cancer prevention and also cancer treatment, and by impairing you know, cancer cell metabolism by following the diet would also sensitize the tumor tissue to any modality you add on top of that, mm -hmm. whether it be chemo or radiation or maybe cancer-specific metabolic drugs like DCA, you know, metformin, uh, 3-bromopyruvate. There's various metabolic agents that inhibit metabolic pathways in cancer cells that are upregulated, like hexokinase 2 and, you know, a variety of glycolytic enzymes that are, seem to be very robust. Uh, so I don't know if that, you know, answers your question or you want. So uh, we're no, looking yeah. into doing that. Yeah, uh, and the hyperbaric oxygen comes in in that because cancer cells have damaged mitochondria, Mm -hmm. And cancer thrives in a low oxygen environment, right. and it thrives in a low oxygen environment because it kicks on things like IGF-1, VEGF, uh, HIF-1-alpha is activated. That's really mm -hmm. the driver for yeah. all this. If you reverse tumor hypoxia, you can get a protracted and sustained decrease in those drivers for hypoxia-induced tumor growth. Like, you know, VEGF goes down, HIF-1-alpha you know, goes down and, and a variety of things just with an intermittent hyperoxygenation of the tumor tissue. But I think more importantly, and what I, 
when I was doing the Navy, you know, when I was looking at oxygen toxicity in a microscope, we looked at a variety of different cells just kind of for fun, really, and just to see how different cells responded to uh, hyperoxia. When I looked at, you know, muscle cells and, and neurons and a variety of cells, we put cancer cells in there and I saw that they were exploding. And no one had seen that before because no one really had a, a microscope inside a hyperbaric chamber. Mm -hmm. And I thought it was really interesting. And we actually published that in neuroscience. And then I was like, you know, we really need to, to study this. We need to develop a, I want to get the most aggressive animal model of cancer on the planet. <laughs> you know, yeah. a model that no one has cured yet. And Tom Seifert had this. It's a a model of very aggressive metastatic cancer. I was like, well, what, if we do a little trial. We, we see what happens if we put animals on a ketogenic diet and hyperbaric oxygen and see what happens. And studies had already been done using cisplatin and methotrexate. So we kind of knew, you know, these didn't work very well, extended survival slightly. When we did the study, I mean, we were able to uh, significantly reduce tumor growth over time and survival was better than what could be achieved with chemotherapeutic agents. So we were just, you know, we were, we, we thought this information was real important and, you know, we tried to get it out through different avenues and now we're running a bunch of studies and we have, you know, one paper out or two papers out now. One just came out in carcinogenesis last week and we have a number of studies in progress that, that is really validating really what, what was the early work of Otto Warburg, you know, and he had he won the Nobel Prize for doing work that sort of supports this idea. And so the hyperbaric oxygen, really, it pushes oxygen through the electron transport chain of the mitochondria mm -hmm. in damaged cancer cells. And because the mitochondria are damaged, they spit out a lot of superoxide anion, a free radical. And then this is the precursor to more damaging free radicals like uh, hydroxyl radical and and, and peroxynitrate that can go on and damage the cells. And so basically the tumor can kill itself from the inside out if you hyperoxygenate it because it overproduces free radicals. It's on pro-apoptotic pathways mm -hmm. that trigger cell death. And now normal cells will also overproduce oxygen free radicals, but because their mitochondria are healthy, they produce less free radicals in response to the same level of oxygen. I see. So cancer cells are selectively vulnerable to a given, you know, amount of oxygen relative to healthy cells. And that's what we saw underneath the microscope. And then, you know, a couple of years later, we scraped up a, a little bit of funds just to run a little <laughs> pilot study. And then we were blown away. And now we're just kind of going at it, you know, full force now to really get a handle and to really nail down what would be the optimal metabolic therapy that a patient could actually use to 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 you know, treat their cancer. And, you know, it, it's an area I've never thought in a million years I'd be like a cancer biologist. It's the last <laughs> thing I wanted to do. Cancer seemed like this, you know, daunting. It seemed very confusing to me when I would read cancer papers because it talked about the different genes and everything. But mm -hmm. if you view cancer as a metabolic disease, you know, triggered or initiated by mitochondrial dysfunction, which then destabilizes the nuclear genome and kicks on the oncogenes, it, it really comes down that the mitochondria are calling the shots. So if you take, and this has been proven in the Cybert studies, if you take a cell that is a cancer cell with a cancer cell nucleus and you suck out the, the mitochondria and put in healthy mitochondria, when that cell divides, it becomes healthy cells. Hmm. So oh, the mitochondria okay. are basically giving crosstalk to the nucleus and restoring the uh, if you if if the nucleus has enough ATP and energy, the the very robust you know uh, 
mechanisms for DNA repair will basically suppress the oncogenes and and activate the tumor suppressor genes. And this has been shown in a number of elegant studies, the Cybert studies. And uh, you know, and and a lot of cancer people approaching this as a genetic disease ignore this information or uh, they just kind of don't want people to know about it, really. Uh, and and conversely, if you take uh, if you take a healthy cell with healthy mitochondria and put in the nucleus of a cancer cell inside the cell with a healthy mitochondria, and that cell divides, it makes healthy cells. So even though a healthy cell, you put in a nucleus of a cancer cell with all the oncogenes turned on, if the mitochondria are healthy and that cell divides, it can lead to healthy cells and a healthy organism. So this disinformation blew me away, and actually most of the cancer community knows about it. They just think it's like a big mystery, but it's really not a mystery. If you view cancer as a metabolic right. disease, you know, really uh, the cell the cells need to maintain you know negative fifty six kilojoules per mole of energy, and if that energy is not sustained, you know, by the mitochondria, then the nucleus will kick on a lot of oncogenes which uh, are drivers for the glycolytic pathway. And then it triggers other genes, which cause the cell to become transformed and immortalized and, you know, and eventually, in some cases, aggressive. Uh, and now a lot of cells just die, right? So you have mm -hmm. a thousand cells that are stressed, their mitochondria are damaged, and you know, 90, 999 die, but you have one that kicks on the correct you know, uh, array of genes that endows it with sustainability or survivability and then that goes on to become a tumor you know an immortalized cell and and that's essentially what's happening and and now you know this is you know it's not some theory that I developed or whatever it's this has kind of been around but now the science is actually validating that this is really the origin of cancer and now that we know it we can develop strategies to uh to really treat it in non-toxic ways. So that's really, instead of infusing someone with cytotoxic agents right. that damage the nucleus, <clears throat> so so why, don't, why don't we explore non-toxic ways? Could you conversely look at and say, you know, is it possible, I don't know um, if, it, if it's possible to do this or the data is there, but could you conversely look at the oncogenes and say, well, what these genes are really turning on to do is to help the cells survive um, on just glucose and these glycolytic pathways rather than mitochondrial pathways since oxidation is impaired. Is there, is there a correlation there or um, is that, that data even there? I, I always like to kind of like flip ideas on their head because mm -hmm. if, you, if you look at yeah. things in a different way, sometimes it you know kind of helps you put together some avenues that he hadn't really thought about before. So is what's that... the specific question then? So like the oncogenes is, have there yeah. been any, is, has there been any research or any kind of mapping to say that the oncogenes could be interpreted specifically as fermentation triggering genes instead of thinking of them as, you know, can cancer causing genes, what they're actually doing is, um, switching a cell over in its preferred metabolic pathway. So for example, if you yeah. took a healthy cell and you turned on these oncogenes without damaging the mitochondria, would the cell then prefer glycolytic pathways to oxidative pathways, I guess is what I'm trying to ask. Uh, yes, that happens like, you know, you have the like KRAS is probably the, the big driver of this. Mm -hmm. uh, so 
So what you're saying is can you transform a cell into a more glycolytic phenotype but without it becoming a cancer cell? Correct. In, in a way. Or, correct. Yeah, yeah. Uh, well, cells do have that metabolic flexibility. Mm -hmm. uh, muscle cells are extremely plastic and, and yeah. metabolically flexible. And I mean, you can hit a muscle cell with so many different stresses, and it, it just has this robust ability to adapt. The skeletal muscle is incredible. And, and it's very mitochondrial, has very robust mitochondrial uh, you know, activity. And, and really that's why skeletal muscle, you don't get tumors, right? You know, if you have someone who has metastatic cancer through every organ of the body, mm -hmm. you know, the blood flow to the muscle is tremendous and you have tons of cancer cells going through the skeletal muscle because the blood flow, because its cells are in, in the blood, but mm -hmm. you know, skeletal muscle never gets tumors. Right. And I think it's because the, because there's, there's, there's a variety of reasons, but I think just because the metabolic health of the the muscles is so ro so robust, um, but I think there's a number of yeah you can you can push a cell into the direction of it being um, you know more glycolytic. But I think what's important with cancer cells is that you know you you turn on an array of oncogenes and kind of all activated by KRAS expression. That's why there's so many. You know, labs now studying the RAS pathway, okay. uh, but there's there's a variety of things that need to be turned on, and and I think what the driver for it though is the ATP production in the cell. So mm -hmm. the nucleus is really sensing the level of ATP because it's very important for uh, you know DNA repair mechanisms and protein synthesis and a lot of things and and if the nucleus is sensing that ATP levels are low it's going to turn on the complement of genes that upregulate the glycolytic pathways and and right so the problem only, isn't you know the problem isn't necessarily yeah, that those genes are turned on the problem is that they can't no, get no. turned off again because of the mitochondrial dysfunction yes is, is that okay Yep. You have, you know, the hallmarks of cancer and you have self-sufficiency and growth signals. Uh, mm -hmm. You have insensitivity to anti-growth signals. You have limitless replicative potential, sustained angiogenesis, evasion of apoptosis, and ultimately metastasis. You know, that's the six hallmarks of, of cancer right there. Okay. And, and that really involves a number of different genes that need to be turned on so the it's almost like it's going it's going to a default state the default state of the cell it essentially de-differentiates and goes back to a primitive form of metabolism mm -hmm. right that endows it with the ability to survive like it's almost acting independently of the organism uh and there's there's a bunch of reviews written written about this and some of them have contrasting ideas but i i think that the the underlying theme is that you know cancer cells are de-differentiating and reverting back to this default state, so uh, you, almost like a stem cell. Would, would you say then, um, obviously, I guess, that mitochondrial dysfunction then is kind of that point of no return? Is that, I mean, is that yeah. a quick way of thinking of it? Because I was, I was, I was it, when you said earlier, using, yeah. it, earlier when you were talking about using antioxidants in vivo versus in vitro and how, um, you know, you don't see it in, uh, in the patient, but you can see it in the Petri dish. I mean, is it possible yeah. if you could trigger the uh, cellular um, signaling to replenish the uh, um, antioxidant uh, repair mechanism, uh, that would be a different way of looking at it as opposed to trying to give it the antioxidant? Is that something that's been, I assume, being looked at? Or 
Does that make sense? I, I, I think so. And, and that's really what a calorie restriction ketogenic diet does. It puts metabolic stress on, on cancer cells, you know, probably pre-cancer cells and can, I believe, if you know, they're not past the point of, of no return, they can revert back to a more healthy phenotype. Uh, but when, you know, certain genes are, and this is kind of debated, you know, can you convert a cancer cell back into a healthy cell? You know, people have had tumors and they, they disappear very fast. And, and some of the scans would suggest that that's happening because there's not a whole lot of dead necrotic tissue there. Uh, I have not seen convincing evidence that, that that's the case. Uh, usually, the, you know, especially aggressive cancer cells will die and then be, you know, kind of uh, there's autophagy. Will you'll, mm-hmm. you know right. the surrounding tissue will essentially break down the macromolecules and consume them. Um, but uh, yeah, there's there's kind of an ongoing debate: is can you how far does a cell need to get before you know it becomes a cancer cell? And and that question is addressed by there's you know two reviews out called the hallmarks of cancer. So it really has to hit all the hallmarks of cancer and. In the, the 2011 version, they actually added like the Warburg effect to it. Like for years, everyone ignored. Like you know, I have a book sitting on my shelf here that is basically the Bible for cancer biologists. It's called The Biology of Cancer, and uh, I won't name the authors, but it's it's the book that if you take a cancer course and you know in, in medical school or PhD level. It, the entire book is all the signaling pathways and all everything you want to know about cancer, supposedly. There is not one mention that cancer cell metabolism is different than normal cells. And that is how we image the gold standard of imaging tumors is a fluorodeoxyglucose PET scan. And basically, that the, what you're visioning there with a, with a FTG PET scan is that the tumor cells are outcompeting the healthy cells for glucose. And they have like 10 times the amount of insulin receptors and they have massive glucose uh, uptake and that's what you're imaging and not, not only does that show you where the tumor is it shows you how aggressive that that tumor is and that's not even mentioned in the whole <laughs> this whole bible of cancer it doesn't even mention it doesn't mention Otto Warburg's name it doesn't mention you know the Warburg effect and it, it doesn't mention that you know this could be if you see tumors you know consuming massive amounts of glucose because uh, they have you know high levels of insulin receptors and wouldn't mm. you want to do a diet that lowers insulin right. as low as possible yeah. and restricts glucose availability to that tumor. It's really a no-brainer, but it's it's really bizarre that the medical community, you know, what they do with cancer patients is feed them sugary drinks like right. Ensure, which is like big sugar, water, and milk, and and infuse them with carbohydrates to help them maintain their weight while they give them chemotherapeutic agents. <laughs> That's like the standard practice here. It's, some of them now are actually giving metformin because now there's a bunch of you know retrospective studies showing that blood glucose correlates with survival you know the the higher your blood glucose the faster you die and the quicker tumors grow and that that's really old data that has just been validated in in patients now so you know we know uh, we know nerf 2 activation tends to reduce the oxidative stress is there evidence evidence that the ketogenic diet helps that activation process as well yep i think milder there's uh at least two publications that have shown that the ketogenic diet uh, increases NERF2 activation. Okay. So that's actually something we were looking at in the lab and one of the things I want to do is just to, to reproduce that and to see if ketone supplementation 
activates hmm. nerf too. Hmm. Uh, I don't know if it will, but it's. I think it's good to. I, I really think that there's a degree. I think carbohydrate restriction and the lowering of insulin and and these things are really the the driver, the activator of all the pathways that confer protection hmm. or or you know or uh, anti uh, or protective effects to the organism. But but if you give if you give ketones, what we see is that blood glucose goes down and insulin goes down too. So these are things that it's possible you can circumvent, you know, at least some of the dietary restriction that's needed yeah. to get, get to get these benefits. Right. And that's what we're really interested in studying. Because everyone wants a pill, right? right. A pill so yeah. easy to take. <laughs> so, so, but I believe it's going to be a combination of things. So that kind of, when I was looking over, I actually read your paper last night um, <clears throat> with the four groups of mice you studied and, you know, the, the standard chow diet, ketogenic, um, standard, chow, standard chow diet with hyperbaric therapy, and then ketogenic diet with hyperbaric therapy. Um, yeah. And one of the things that you noted that was contrary to uh, previous findings is that uh, standard chow diet plus the hyperbaric therapy did not have a stati statistical significance in increasing yeah. the animal life. Um, and then yeah. this morning I was looking over, you know, certain aspects of tumor cells, and, and this falls in line with them becoming more glycolytic. Um, they are also internally have a more alkaline environment than most other cells, and that's because... You know, they're glycolytic, so obviously this is for the audience. Um, they've got more um, positive hydrogen ion buildup, so which is an acidic environment. So they need a more alkaline environment to survive and thrive with, you know, glycolysis as their only energy source. So my thought was, could a potential contributor to the tumor death or slowing of its growth be that when you a when you're in a ketogenic state obviously there's there's less glucose to metabolize so that's going to slow growth but also I was looking at the the hydrogen uh, sodium transport chain yep. in that it requires yep. ATP for the activation of you know the main gene that helps regulate that so my thought was so, you know, there's one characteristic, you're not able to produce as much ATP, so the cell doesn't have energy for growth, and you're starting to impair its ability to maintain that alkaline environment. In the hyperbaric therapy plus ketogenesis, in that, or a, a high ketone environment, this is why I asked that question earlier, if you saw enhanced metabolism, yeah. particularly in the brain or other, you know, tissue areas, but the brain was the main focus. So if you yeah. then have very low blood glucose levels and then you through ketogenesis or a ketone diet and then you apply this hyperbaric therapy where you've sped up metabolism in tissue that um, let's say has GLUT1 receptors so they can soak up blood glucose more readily the brain being a good example and can accelerate metabolism you've essentially choked off a glucose supply for a limited amount of time to the tumor cells yeah which could then force them to go into the, you know, cross over into that pH of like 6.5, or I, I think it was, they said was the threshold where the tumor cell just goes into apoptosis. Um, could that be a driving factor that makes the ketogenic diet plus the hyperbaric component so effective and 
if it is, and maybe I'm just misunderstanding, maybe that is directly related to the production of free radicals. Yeah, that that's a good question. I, you know, I like to just kind of preface this too. I think there's many things going on, but mm-hmm. I, I do think, and when it comes mm-hmm. to the acidity of cancer cells, uh, that's more, you know, that that's probably a downstream epiphenomenon of the Warburg effect, right? right? Yeah, you know, you're, that's, you're making. That's actually where I found sodium, it was. You talked about the Warburg effect in your paper, which. I, I was kind yeah. of ignorant of, and so I was I was actually looking into the Warburg effect, and that's how I found this paper that correlated it with um, tumor yeah. tumor cell growth, and then novel things to try to interrupt. Yeah. And that was what the paper was discussing was trying to interrupt that proton transport transport chain. Yeah. So that paper was probably written by uh, Robert Gatenby and and Robert Gillies. Yes. Is that yep. I don't know if yep. the author. Was that right? Okay, so, yeah. so they're like my kind of collaborators. <laughs> they're at the Big Moffitt Cancer okay. Center here, and, and they they do some really interesting work. A lot of it, some of it involves, you know, probably the most successful aspect of their work involves using sodium bicarbonate. You know, so you have kind of a superpower lab working at you know a major cancer center, and probably you know one of the most effective therapies that they have on hand is like a, a sodium bicarb <laughs> infusing tumor cells with sodium bicarb which would do I mean what what you're talking about it would it would alkalinize the the cancer cells uh, now the ketogenic diet does the same thing right it, it mm-hmm. lowers right. it lowers glucose it lowers insulin which lowers glycolysis which lowers lactate so you have reduced glycolysis reduced insulin reduced glucose that ultimately leads to lower lactate that ultimately leads to uh, reversing some of the tumor acidity. So if you can combine that with, uh, you know, maybe uh, an alkalizing agent like sodium bicarb or other buffers and the hyperbaric oxygen, hyperbaric oxygen increases, you know, metabolic activity in, in, in all the cells of your body. Mm-hmm. So it could, it could facilitate glucose disposal. It may activate pyruvate dehydrogenase complex, which would, you know, kind of, further kind of activate mitochondrial respiration mm-hmm. and in, t- in tumor cells that have it's interesting in tumor cells that have damaged mitochondria when you activate that pathway pyruvate dehydrogenase mm-hmm. complex if you activate damaged mitochondria they actually explode and, and it kills it. and uh-huh. that's how dichloroacetate <laughs> works okay so dca if you just do a search like on dca and cancer you'll mm-hmm. come up with all these hits like dca is a cure for cancer and all this right. you know it, it's not and that there's some government conspiracy because you can't patent it that that's that's not true i mean it's, but <laughs> it, it is true that dca is is probably almost as potent as many of the chemotherapeutic agents out there and it's non-toxic so it, it could be something that someone should probably look into if they have cancer but i mean more work needs to be done on it in our hands that it's it's only it's not very effective you know if used alone mm-hmm. uh, right. so I think there's a variety of things that you pointed out a lot of interesting things that I think need to be looked at the sodium hydrogen exchanger you know targeting the the acidity uh, but we're we're looking at hyperbaric oxygen as we know there's previous work that shows that it reduces you know HIF HIF one alpha and VEGF mm-hmm. which are driving angiogenesis and um, and these are some of the main hyperbaric oxygen also directly like turns off oncogenes and actually oh. increases tumor suppressor genes oh. if you do like a gene profile so it's actually pushing you know it's actually silencing 
the genes that are that are drivers for tumor growth. And if you just, you know, if you give hyperbaric oxygen therapy to an animal model, take out the tumor tissue and look at the genes, across the board you see like a, a silencing of the, uh, the oncogenes and inactivation of tumor suppressor genes. So it's working at the gene level. And, and perhaps those, that, that is being influenced by metabolism. Maybe metabolism is ultimately influencing, you know, the gene expression. Right. But there, there's still a lot of work to do. Um, what, what, what we're interested in, you know, cause I have limited funds for this. It's really coming in from generous donors and I'm working on government grants, but you know, when, when I submit a grant, it comes back to me they're like, this is not, this is important, but it's not exciting and innovative. So <laughs> I don't know, you know, I, I wrote back to them, you know, can you like, what is exciting and innovative to you? If this is not creating, you know, new novel compounds and combining it with hyperbaric in something yeah. that's non talk I never heard, heard, they didn't reply back to that email, but so it's, it's really good not to, to do things like that. But yeah, so at, at this point, you know, there's the NIH or I'm, I won't mention the institutions, but they are not really that. <laughs> I will say though that the the National Cancer Institute uh, invited me to a workshop with Paul Davies, the cosmologist out there in Arizona, mm-hmm. and I did present this work to them. And the program officer at the NCI said, "This is like," he said, "of all the stuff that I've seen, this is like, this is really really exciting. This is like some of the most exciting stuff I've seen." So I don't know. Maybe he'll go back to Harold Varmus and the NCI director and say, "You know, we got to focus on this." But recently, I did attend. I was invited to an NCI workshop where they they heard about this and they just wanted to hear more about it. And uh, at the end of the meeting, the program officer said, this is very, this is a really good direct, they're basically putting their hands up in the air, the NCI, because nothing's working. And, and they have a cosmologist, you know, uh, an <clears throat> astrobiologist, like the Stephen Hawking's guy saying, <laughs> marshalling, you know, people that are doing different things and having them meet in a group and say, well, what can we do? Because what we're doing is not working. So it was really an honor, you know, to, to be able to present it, something like that. So. Hopefully, I presented my data, and Tom Seifer was there too, and several others studying cancer metabolism, and hopefully they can maybe direct funding towards, you know, th- these kinds of therapies that I think really have a lot of potential for helping patients. So, so if all things go right, in 10 to 15 years, we'll be ingesting ketone supplements <laughs> beyond metformin and probably doing some hyperbaric therapy in our own home on an on a intermittent <laughs> right. basis. <laughs> and diet, diet. I always yeah. emphasize too. Yeah. And people don't want to hear it, but that car- <laughs> people just don't want to hear it. Really, that carbohydrate-restricted ketogenic diet is going to be the foundation of this, and uh, and I think that you know you know you need to start with what we know works yeah, first, right. and then some of these other things, and then yeah, you have you know ketone supplementation, and you have hyperbaric oxygen therapy, you have cancer-specific metabolic inhibitors like you know DCA and 2-deoxyglucose mm-hmm. and things, and then after all that's been tried, and then there's other relatively you know there's chemotherapeutic agents that can be tried and and once you do metabolic therapy you're really compromising the the, you're putting tremendous metabolic stress on cancer cells Mm -hmm. so it's going to make it vulnerable to any modality you you put on top of that Mm -hmm. and you know there's a lot of interesting immune therapies out there right now that are being tried some of them haven't really panned out you know most of them don't but I Mm -hmm. think there's potential in that avenue I don't I don't come down hard on you know, uh, pharmaceutical companies like a lot of people do. And I think, you know, they're out to make a buck, but, uh, but I think there's some, there's some honest work going on out there. And I know, you know, some of my friends do, do work in that field. 
but I, I just believe that you know we should we should explore a non-toxic approach first because I know of people, many people that die of the chemotherapy. They go in mm, thinking, yeah, definitely. You know, yeah. and then their health rapidly declines, and then they end up dying. And it was obvious that they died of the chemotherapy and not the cancer. So I don't, you know, I, I think I don't even know if people know this, but I think it's important to know if if you have cancer and you're going in for chemo that uh, it's pretty clear, you know, if you oncologists will tell you too that chemo can can kill you. So I, I definitely agree with I the diet issue. And, you know, I, I as we yeah. see here, I wonder what's harder, treating than cancer or getting somebody to quit eating bread. You know, it's almost like they're on the same level yeah. to yeah. a certain degree. Well, you know, I, I think it's funny that the diet component <clears throat> and how we always try to look for every other avenue of what it could possibly be. You know, there's these environmental toxins and there's pesticides and there's, you know, particulates yeah. in the air and it's all these things. And people just miss our most intimate link to our environment is the food we eat like end of story yes. what we put in our mouth is yeah. telling our body the kind of environment we live in and that's if the gateway yeah, yeah and you know people just miss that it's like you know if you get your diet down and you get that nailed you've probably conquered 95 to 99 percent of all the health problems that you could encounter and the problem has been we've just had really crappy recommendations for the last 60 years um yeah so yeah it, food as medicine yeah yeah and that's yeah, it's important it's like a totally alien concept i'm not sure how much patient is, care you, yeah. you you had directly but have you had instances where you've had patients or you've seen people they're having difficulty getting their ketone levels up even though they're eating large amounts of fat and they're restricting their protein are, are the other are, have you seen scenarios like that at yeah all? I do see that sometimes in patients. I just like to make clear that, you know, I don't treat pay. I do have a lot of patients contact me, but I have mm -hmm. on my site, I have people, uh, you know, expert consultants that will hand, take over the patients. But I do, what I do ask is that they send me blood work and you really get a lot of insight into this disease and people's metabolic health when they send you like before and after blood work. And almost every in almost every situation when they adopt a, a carbohydrate restricted ketogenic diet, their, their blood markers improve in the right. Um, you know, and there have been occasionally you get people that just cannot get into ketosis. They can't get their blood right. glucose levels down. Many of these people are on like, you know, prednisone, dexamethasone to, to mm -hmm. and that's yeah. very common for oncologists, especially for brain tumor patients to dose them up high on dexamethasone right. and corticosteroids. And it's really hard to get someone's blood glucose down and to get their ketones up if they're loaded up on steroids. You know, this is, and, and then you ask the oncologist, well, why are you giving these, these steroids? And they really don't have a good, they say, well, they have an anti-emetic effect and, you know, they reduce, uh, inflammation, you know, edema inflammation. Mm -hmm. Well, the person doesn't, didn't have that. So why don't you just, you know, they, if they're not nauseous already and they don't even have swelling, well, why are they taking, you know, uh, massive doses of corticosteroids? So I find that the keto, the calorie restricted ketogenic diet has a pretty profound anti-inflammatory effect and, and even an anti-nausea effect. So I, I find that people can get off these corticosteroids and then get their blood glucose under control and then get their ketones up if they, but you know, you don't, if, if they go back to their doctor and say, well, this, this guy who studies ketogenic diets telling me to get off the steroids, right. the doctor will flip out and probably sue me. So I just, I just <laughs> yeah. nudge them and just say, well, just, just question, you know, ask your doctor why he's doing this and you have that right. 
to do that and and to offer an alternative approach and many of them you know the first guy that came to me was uh dr fred hatfield and he had been he had seen like three oncologists and and you know i gave him information i was like uh and he he had what what was i guess terminal metastatic bone cancer from prostate cancer that was treated with radiation and uh he went back to his doctor and said you know i want to i want to try this and his doctor's got really angry. I don't know if he gave him my name. It's not a good idea, but I just gave him the information and the doctor like completely flipped out and said, well, you're going to die. If you do this, you're going to die. And well, if you don't do it, you're going to die. He was basically, he was on palliative care, you know, given like three months to live and he didn't really have any other options. So he did it and happened to be a very profound response. And now he's cancer free for like three years. Wow. So, and that was, you know, and you know, I have, I have his medical report from three different oncologists, you know, metastatic bone cancer he had. Uh, and when I, uh, and he was a power lifter, Fred Hatfield, Dr. Squat. Yeah. yeah. Is his name. So yeah. Yeah. So you was, said it, I recognized the name. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And, uh, you know, he was actually on TV about it and everything. And, uh, and that was like the first person I was and and it kind of validated in my mind. I was like, wow, maybe this does work. This is when I started getting into this work, <laughs> you know, <laughs> and then I had a, a glioblastoma patient from across, from the other side of the earth, <laughs> you know, try this. And it was like, you know, the tumor was so big, they couldn't resect it. And I said, you know, you, you just maybe just give this a try. And within a couple weeks to maybe a month and a half, the tumor was small enough, you know, it shrank so they could do a surgery on it. Mm -hmm. And then they did surgery. And I think they, I told them, don't do radiation, don't do chemo. I think they avoided that and just did a very aggressive metabolic therapy, you know, fasting, you know, a calorie restricted ketogenic diet. And that was almost, that was two and a half years ago. I don't know if you're familiar with glioblastoma patients, but if they go over a year, that's like remarkable. Yeah. I mean, this guy, had a, an inoperable GBM, was bedridden, could not even stand up. He just sent me at Christmas time, he was like, you know, very thankful email. And it was like 10 pictures of him traveling all around the world. Wow. Oh, and this is awesome. a GBM patient. <laughs> you yeah. know, that was the second patient that came to me. So the second patient that was like, wow, okay, I really have to study this. So, right. uh, so I became like a zealot. <laughs> and I was, you know, started writing proposals. And then then my proposals got slammed because people are saying it's not innovative. And so I started seeking out other avenues to, to try to get this funded. So I'm mm -hmm. limping along now and with a little bit of funding, but the data coming out of, uh, is very, very interesting. And my students too are highly motivated because they have a personal interest in this with their families and, yeah. you know, loved ones that have cancer. So, so there's a lot of enthusiasm and motivation for studying this in my lab. Well, it's, this has been a great so conversation. Oh, I was just going to say we've, we've like hit the hour mark. Actually, we're over it. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And I, I, I would actually love to have you back on the show again, uh, relatively soon. I mean, I, I feel like we could probably talk for like another hour or something with, without <laughs> too much difficulty. Sure. Yeah. I would love to. Yeah. Um, great. Yeah, just let me know when. All right. Great. Thanks. Thanks for coming on Dom. And, uh, Thanks for ans answering my questions as esoteric as they might have seemed. And uh, great to meet you online. Very yeah, and, and really kind of helping the audience. You know, half my audience are you know sports enthusiasts, and the other half are people who just want to be healthy. Um, and yeah. you know, I, I think there's a lot of ways that the performance people can kind of help the healthy group if they're you know willing to understand how impactful and systemic 
the effects of a ketogenic diet can be. You know, most of them, you know, they're really concerned about their looks, so they're scared to tell their family members about it or things like that. It's like, you know, it goes so far beyond looks um, that it's really worthwhile to try to spread information like this to your family members, no matter what the problem is, you know, they're going to benefit from carbohydrate restriction. I mean, that's just yeah. end of the story. Good point and well said. Yep. Yeah, you're changing your metabolic physiology, which has major implications for a number of different things, including, you know, neurological diseases and cancer. Damn. So you're promoting, you know, I think you're curing more people than the, than the oncologists out there <laughs> by just promoting this lifestyle and promoting, you know, uh, just being accountable for your own health too and taking control empowering the person instead of you know the person basically putting their arms in the air and having the doctor prescribe them drugs you're empowering the person yeah uh, actually that's, that, that, that's very powerful yeah we can have that as some of the topic on our next show because we just talked to, with okay. Rob Wolf about uh, you know how people look at healthcare and, and do exactly that. they just yeah. throw their arms in the air and it's like well you know I'm just gonna go to the doctor and get a pill I'm not gonna yeah. worry about it kind of thing so I see that every day. Yeah. So I met the Rob part. at the ancestral health meeting. Yeah, he's uh-huh. a sharp guy. Yeah, definitely a good guy. Yep. All right, great. Well, um, great. Yeah. Thank. Thanks a lot for being on the show. We really appreciate it, and uh, we'll definitely be in contact to get you back on again uh, whenever you just want to chat. Okay. Thanks again for having okay. me. I look forward to it. Yeah. All right. Thanks again, Dom. Thanks. Okay. Bye bye. Bye. been listening to Body IO FM with your hosts, Kiefer and Dr. Rocky. If you'd like to hear more, log on to body.io. We'll be back next time with more science from the pinnacle of human health and performance.